Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Alice Su, The Economist Senior China Correspondent, and I'm here with my co-host, David Rennie, our Beijing bureau chief. Over the next two episodes, we're going to look at how Chinese women are demanding more rights at a time when the state is emphasizing traditional roles. This clash is happening in both the city and the countryside. Next week, we'll see how women are challenging the patriarchy in Chinese villages. This week, our story is about urban women pushing for more control over their bodies and families. A growing number of women want to have children on their terms. The Communist Party also wants more babies, but the two sides have traditionally disagreed on what a family should look like. We're asking, as the country's population shrinks, can Chinese women seize the moment to take family planning decisions into their own hands? Will the state give women more control over how and when they have children? This is Drumtar from The Economist. Alice, hello. How have you been? How are things in Taipei? David, hello. All is well here in Taipei, although just before we started recording, a huge thunderstorm started going outside. So I don't know if you can hear it, but if there's like a rumbling sound in the podcast, it's thunder and lightning outside of my window. Don't. You'll inspire the drilling workmen to <laughs> compete in my apartment building. They're a bit quiet. They're terrible this morning, but they're a bit quiet now. Hopefully not. Alice, I was thinking of your really amazing, heartbreaking reporting about Uyghur exiles this week. I've been on the road for a future podcast mm. and uh, just checking into a railway hotel a couple of nights ago, there was uh, a mother with her young daughter and they were being questioned by the police, photographed, all their documents photographed, their room key photographed. And why? Because they're Uyghurs from Xinjiang. And when I asked the hotel clerk, he said, well, of course, people from Xinjiang, we have to call the police. It's automatic. Just how it is. And, and what was kind of the saddest in a way was that this family from Xinjiang looked completely unsurprised. They were just yeah. so used to this harassment in a bit of China far away from their homeland. Yeah. Sometimes it's like those little things you notice on the road that tell you so much about what's going on. Yeah, it's the routine nature of kind of the universal yeah. discrimination that's really kind of shocking. Yeah, maybe it's something we can come back to in a future episode. For sure. So Alice, you've been interviewing Chinese women for your reporting on how family structures in the whole of East Asia are changing. Yeah, that's right. A couple of weeks ago, I worked on a project with our colleagues in Japan and Korea, and it was about how people in China, Taiwan, Japan, and Korea are rejecting traditional norms, Confucian norms, and they're they're making new choices about how they build their families, when they marry, who they marry, whether they marry, whether they have kids, and so on. And one of the driving forces behind those changes was really 
East Asian women who are seeking to have more control in their lives, and in particular, women in China. And that's the theme of the next two episodes. And I've been, as you know, in the mountains of southern China, talking to some villagers about their fights. But you've been talking to some really interesting, brave women in China's big cities. And、um, what have they been talking to you about? Well, David, I thought we could start off by watching this video. It's actually from an influencer, an online blogger. Her Chinese name is Ye Haiyang, and she has an English name, Gavin Ye. And actually, her channel was recommended to me by a working-class migrant worker, single mom that I was interviewing for that story. So, David, what we're seeing here is Gavin Ye, Ye Haiyang, and she's sitting in a couch in this khaki jacket, looking straight at the camera and giving a very moving message. And it's a letter to her daughter, and she says, "I have many jobs. I have a lot of work in my life, and one of my jobs is to be your mother." And then she mentions, "I have another job, which is to be your father." She is mother and father at the same time. The interesting thing about Ye Haiyang is that she is a solo mom. What's that mean? A solo mom is basically someone who decides to be a single parent by choice. It's a term that's meant to not be derogatory. So she wanted to be a mom on her own, and that's what's so radical about Ye Haiyang. Basically, she's a CEO. She's wealthy. She's successful. She has her own skincare company, and she decided a couple of years ago that she wanted to be a mom. She didn't want to get married. So what she did was she went to Russia and she went to America and she did in vitro fertilization there. So essentially, she got sperm from a donor. She provided the eggs herself and she got pregnant. And then she came back to China with her two daughters. And her whole channel is about her wealthy, successful life with her two daughters that she loves a lot. And all the commenters are just saying like, "Wow, this is amazing! You're so independent. You're so strong. You have it all. You have the career. You have the kids, and you did it all without a man." Wow, a Chinese blogger talking about IVF—that's pretty unusual for this country. And are they getting a lot of views? Yeah, I mean, so Ye Haiyang is incredibly popular. I mean, she has 7.4 million followers on Douyin, which is the original TikTok in China. But she's actually part of a trend. So if you go down the black hole of watching her videos, like I did, you'll start seeing a lot of imitation accounts, also of solo moms of women who decided to become. Moms on their own, typically also through IVF. Some of them also make similar videos with moving music in the background that are letters to their daughters or letters to their sons. Some are also just video series documenting their process of IVF and trying to help other women know, like, if you want to go through this process, if you want to be a mom but you don't want to get married, you can do it this way. Here's the hormone injections I had to do, and really, it's this whole conversation that's been happening on Chinese social media. That is really unusually out there and really pretty brave. Do you think that she has spotted just the right moment to come out as an IVF advocate and influencer? Because the Communist Party is extremely clear that it needs more babies. I don't know if this conversation would have been censored before, but I think because it's such a personal subject and single parenting is so stigmatized typically in China, I think even without state censorship, it would be quite rare to have people talking about it in public. And I think some women could be thinking, yeah, you know, the state wants more babies at this time, so I'm talking about something that is state endorsed. But at the same time, as you know very well, David, under Xi Jinping, there has been a lot of state endorsement of traditional gender roles, right? That's something that Xi Jinping really likes to emphasize. Even back in October last year at the 20th Party Congress, Xi Jinping was talking about. 
the need to raise the level of civilization in society as a whole by carrying forward traditional Chinese virtues, strengthening family building. Essentially, he talks a lot about restoring traditional Chinese culture, and a lot of that is Confucian, is patriarchal, and probably not what you see on Ye Haiyang's channel. And we don't have to guess, do we, Alice, that this is actually having real-world consequences on the ground in places like divorce courts, because even as there is this push for more children in society, we are seeing a kind of formal drive to protect the nuclear family. I mean, even things like those awful stories of women who have been trafficked or have been physically abused by their own husbands, and you're seeing judges denying them divorces and saying in court out loud that this is because it is better for the children to have their parents together and telling these couples to reconcile, even though one of them is the victim of terrible domestic abuse. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, feminist groups in China have been censored. So, you know, women who are out there trying to say even, you know, very basic things like we want to strengthen awareness of sexual harassment, things like that, they're seen as threatening and they haven't been able to have public space for these kinds of campaigns. And yet, despite the state's emphasis on patriarchal tradition, there are now these women out there publicly online completely reinventing their gender roles. Here's another video from Ye Haiyang. She's telling a story about one day she was out with her daughter Doris and her mother, so Doris's popo, her grandma. And then the popo, the grandma, was telling Doris, oh, you know what a dad does? A dad is someone who picks you up when you're sick and makes you feel safe. Dad can play ball with you. And dad is also working hard outside, making money and bringing money home to take care of mom and the kids. And then Doris, her daughter, says, Isn't my mom my dad? Because those are all things that my mom is doing. And basically, Ye Haiyang says, I don't see anything wrong with this idea. Why can't I do all the things that a dad can do, even though I'm a woman? I'm getting the sense that this has been quite the journey for Ye Haiyang's mother the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think if you decide to go and go through her channel and watch videos where her mom appears, I think she's also had her journey of acceptance. So when you look at the conversation that's happening online, you'll see that it's not only about changing gender roles because Ye Haiyang presents in a very gender neutral way, or sometimes she wears blazers and dresses more like a man. But there's another solo mom influencer, and she's actually like the second most popular. Her name is Li Shueke, and she doesn't do like, I'm a dad, but she's actually a former model. So she's in her high heels and long hair all the time. But her whole message is, I also chose to be a mom. And basically, as a woman, I can have more agency and everything I do can be my own choice and I can do it on my own. David, check out this video that she posted online. Oh my goodness, it's all there. She's boxing. She's got her dutiful assistant listening to her giving orders in her swanky office. She's strutting her stuff. It's kind of part gangster movie, part ideal mother thing. And so revealing, she uses the word about herself, Laoban, like she's a boss, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. So, I mean, Li Shika's story is that she left home when she was young to work on her own as a model, and then she opened her own modeling school. And then later on, she went to Thailand to do IVF to become a mom on her own, and she gave birth to triplets. So she became a solo mom of three. And in her video, she's like, from being a model to being a boss to becoming a mother, each one of these was my choice. 
一个认真生活的人。Yeah, there they are in their sailor suits, like the Von Trapp children. It's all very,、yeah. it's amazing. Yeah,、stuff. yeah. And there's this line in her video where it says, "有人说女人应该本分 Like some people say, women should know their place and do their duty. And she's like, "Well, 偏不信 Like I refuse to buy that. Who says that women can only be one thing? And so you know, her whole thing is like, we have many, many sides, and I can be anything that I want. And look, it's easy to sort of look at it and think. How cheesy some of this is, but the truth is, these are women trying to build careers in a very patriarchal corner of the world. If you introduce well-educated, ambitious women who want some control in their lives into a society where they're meant to do what they're told, they rebel, and in many cases have not been having any children at all. So it's fascinating to hear from these women who are like, "If I'm going to have children, it's going to be my way, and not with someone else telling me how to do it or bossing me about." Yeah, that's right. Actually, in in a lot of the Comments on these videos, you can see like envious women saying like, "Wow, so you get the benefits of being a mom, but you don't have to put up with the expectations of your in-laws, or you don't have to put up with a husband." Like, how freeing! How does that work in a basically pretty conservative place like China? What are the legal and practical barriers to being a solo mom in China? Well, I would say there are three main barriers. The first, most obvious one, is that in China, legally, only heterosexual married couples are allowed access to. IVF and to sperm banks and even to egg freezing. So if you're a single woman and you want to go through this process, or even if you want to just freeze your eggs, you can't do it. Within China, you have to go abroad. And to be fair to China, it's not alone here, right? I mean, France actually only changed its own law to allow IVF for single women or lesbians in 2021. Yeah, that's right. And then in China, there's another layer of complication, which is Huko or household registration, and that is what every Chinese citizen needs to have to decide where they're from, where they're registered, and what kinds of social benefits they have access to. And for a long time, Huko and household registration was very complicated for children born out of wedlock. There was this. Opinion from the state council that came out in 2016, trying to fix the problem of people who didn't have huko, and it basically said if you don't have huko, so including children born out of wedlock, you should be able to get it. But in practice, a lot of single parents, when they tried to register their children, they were rejected. So then, like their kids wouldn't have the same access to schools, to healthcare. It's hard to exaggerate how important that is, right? Without a huko, you're basically a sort of a second class or a non-citizen. Yeah, although. Just since 2022, four different provinces, so Sichuan, Shanxi, Guangdong, and Fujian, have all explicitly loosened their rules on birth registration for children born out of wedlock. So they've all made little tweaks, but it's quite a big deal that they put it in writing. Like for example, Sichuan this year, they used to have a rule that said husband and wife should do birth registration before they have a child, and now they've changed it to any citizen that has a child. Should go through birth registration. No, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, these are very, very big provinces. I mean, that's hundreds of millions of people now covered by that. Yeah, that's right. So things are changing, but there is a third, you know, major, major obstacle I think to solo parenting, and that is tradition and social conventions. Because despite that potential change, the majority of Chinese society is still very conservative, very patriarchal. Now, is that word majority is really important? Because we see so often in China that you can be. A minority with the law on your side, with natural justice on your side, but if an intolerant majority is not ready for that change, is unwelcoming, is suspicious, then the Communist Party will, to get a quiet life, to maintain social stability, will side with the majority. Yeah, and I think in a way, you know, that's why what these influencers are doing also really matters because 
they are trying to change the public conversation and public perception of single parents. And then also of the idea that women can have more agency and can be in charge of deciding whether and when they have a child. And there are individual women I met who are taking some really brave steps to try to push that change. I will introduce them to you in a moment. But first, for our listeners, there is so much more to read about China over on The Economist website. This week, we have a piece about why Hong Kongers are bracing for an even wider clampdown on dissent. You can also read a big report that two of our colleagues, Sasha Nauta and Katrin Brahik, recently did on IVF technology. But in order to read either of those pieces, you will need an Economist subscription. If you already have one, thank you. You are the reason that we can do our reporting and podcasting. And if you don't, then why not try our free 30-day digital subscription? You can find it at economist.com slash drum offer. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. So, David, I spoke with a woman who goes by the name of Shi Zhao Zhao, and she's actually quite well known in China because of this lawsuit that she filed against the hospital in Beijing. Oh, yeah, that's the famous egg freezing case. Yeah, that's right. So Xu Zhaozhao is the first single woman to bring a lawsuit against the hospital for the right to freeze her eggs. She is 35 years old. She works and lives in Guangzhou right now, but she's actually originally from Harbin in the north of China. And I spoke with her over the phone. So when you listen to our conversation, you might hear a little bit of the sound of me typing in the background. So Shi Zhaozhao was telling me about how she wasn't very confident in herself and there was a lot of old-fashioned expectations in her life. But only in the last few years, when she was approaching age 30, she noticed how she started to feel more confident. She started to feel mature. She was like, I'm gaining the respect of my colleagues in the workplace. I can express myself. I know what I want to do. But then right at that time, that's when other people around her started saying, hey, now you're at the age where you need to start thinking about getting married, having a kid. She said, you know, I feel really conflicted. I'm standing at this intersection of it's like time to spread my wings, but then it's like, okay, now you need to move your focus to a, a family. Mm-hmm. It's that fundamental inequality, isn't it? That the window for women is just biologically smaller than for men who can take their time growing up. Yeah, that's right. So Alice, what does she do about it? 
Well, when Zhao Zhao turned 30, that was 2018, she decided that she was going to go to a hospital and ask to freeze her eggs because she thought, I want to buy more time for myself and this technology exists, I should be able to use it. Of course, she was rejected because it's illegal. She's not married. But actually, Zhao Zhao told me that she was more upset by some of the other things that the doctor said to her. So Zhao Zhao said that she felt like the doctor was looking down on her, like talking to her like she was very childish. And she was like, your career is definitely not going to be as important as children. And she felt like she was being treated like she was an irrational person. And she was in this place where the doctor was telling her like, hey, it's time to grow up and it's time to dong shi, like time to understand things and time to do things for the collective. And to Zhao Zhao, she just thought like, well, this is just so unfair. And she also says she felt like she wasn't able to make decisions for her own body. And, you know, when I was talking to her about this, I was like, oh, wow, was the doctor a man? And she said, no, actually, the doctor was an older woman who said, I've been in your position and now I'm older, so I understand. So you should just listen to what we say. That doesn't surprise me, having just been in some rural villages. <laughs> There's some very conservative Chinese women out there is not a newsflash. Yeah. So Zhao Zhao was so upset about this that in 2019, she decided to sue the hospital. Her legal argument was that the hospital's refusal to freeze her eggs was a violation of her right to bodily autonomy. And this case became a huge deal in the national conversation. It was widely covered in Chinese media. Zhao Zhao would come and stand outside the courthouse and give statements to the press. And it sparked this trend online. You know, people were talking about China's first single woman egg freezing case. And of course she lost, didn't she? Yeah, that's right. And when the judgment came out in 2022, I remember there were some amazing arguments, particularly some of the really quite harsh lines from the hospital's lawyers. Remember that line about them saying that by freezing her eggs and having a baby much later, mm. a mother might cause psychological harm or problems to society because there'd be a large age gap between a parent and a child. Yeah, it just seems like such a strict insistence on women must have the baby at this time fit into the mold and that's how we keep our society stable. I mean, Zhao Zhao also told me that in court, the hospital lawyer was saying things like, if single women are allowed to freeze eggs, we'll have lots of single moms in society and that's also bad for the child and bad for stability. But she was saying, like, it doesn't make sense because she doesn't necessarily want to be a solo mom. She's just asking to have more options. And she says, in reality, maybe she's not even going to use those eggs because she might decide later she doesn't want to have a kid. Or maybe she'll meet someone and she'll get married and she'll have a kid with them. She's just saying she wants to have more choices. And Alice, no one's saying that governments and courts shouldn't have views on things like medical ethics when you've got new technologies involving fertility treatments. But I think those comments from the lawyers talking about why it's bad for a baby to have too old a mother or bad for society to have single mothers, you can see that people are jumping on the excuse of having power over someone like Zhao Zhao because she wants to make her choices to make some very broad judgments about the kind of society they think is wholesome. And that isn't about medical ethics at all. That's just about their power to control. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that Zhao was saying was these eggs are part of my body. It's my body and it's my money and it's my freedom. Like I should be able to decide for myself. And it's coming up against this sense in China that actually, no, like your body and the decisions you make with it should be decided by the group or by the government. 
And after Zaza lost her court judgment last year, what's she doing now? Well, she's actually appealing. And one reason Zaza was doing that is because, well, one, she really wants to freeze her eggs. But two, she actually thinks that this policy might change because since 2019, when she first started her case, China's population has started to shrink, right? And you can see that the government is feeling quite urgent about needing more babies. So she thinks that there's hope and that's why she's appealing. But the sad thing is like by the time that this choice is available to her, she'll probably be too old because she's already 35 years old. And I asked her, like, well, have you thought about also maybe just getting married? And for her, she hasn't found a person. But she also told me that, like many other women in China, she doesn't have the highest expectations for life within marriage. She feels that gender roles are still very strong. And, you know, she said this thing to me that... No matter how much the man says he's going to split the job with you, in reality, it's going to be different. Because once you're married, you're going to face pressure not only from your partner, but also from his family, his relatives, his colleagues, his boss, the neighbors, the whole society. And she described marriage as this Wei Cheng, like an encircled city. And she's like, it's not just about you or even just about the two of you. It's about the expectations of the entire society. And so it's nice to imagine, like, maybe I'll find a good guy, I'll get married, and I'll still be able to do everything I want, but we have to face reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Alice, you spoke to some other Chinese women who are not waiting for the law to change. Yeah, that's right. So kind of like in this environment where you can't freeze your eggs, you can't access the sperm banks or IVF, for a lot of women, if they want to be moms, they have to either go abroad or they have to take some radical decisions. There's this woman I met who lives in Shanghai. Her name is Jing, and she works in an international school. And she decided she didn't want to be an old parent because she wanted to be still very young and able to take her kids out hiking and camping. So when she hit her early 30s, she decided she had to get pregnant and she would find a solution. So Jing is saying that sperm banks are only legally open to married couples with fertility problems. So she had two male friends who she thought were nice people. So they could team up, she says in English. What does she mean by that? Yeah, I asked her, I was like, what is teaming up? And she basically said she had sex with one of them. And she got pregnant. And she decided that she was going to be the solo mom of the baby that she's now carrying. That is definitely not a Confucian family value. Uh, How were her family with that? Yeah, it is quite unconventional in China. So Jing did admit that, you know, in more traditional Chinese families, this is something quite shameful if you're pregnant, but you're not married. But she says once her mom knew that she was actually pregnant, her mom was very happy for her. And then They agreed that they would wait for three months because the risk of miscarriage is higher in the first trimester. And then once they knew the baby was definitely coming, her mom actually helped her and spoke to her dad. And her dad is more traditional. He found it hard to accept. But eventually, her mother was telling him, hey, times are changing. Times are different now. Our daughter is not pregnant by accident. She chose to do this. And actually, she is a a glorious mama. And... Eventually, he came around. Sounds like there's two Guangrong mamas in that family. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But there's still a lot of stigma out there to single mothers. China is not an easy place to be a single mother. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Ding is also lucky because she lives in Shanghai, which is the most cosmopolitan city in China. It's quite progressive, and she actually told me that she didn't have any problems with registration processes for her child that's coming. And Shanghai, it's not one of those four places that made an official announcement about birth registration for kids born out of wedlock, but she didn't have any issues. And she actually told me this is a gray zone. It's actually fine. You can register your kid. They're going to get an ID card. They'll go to school normally. There's no problem. But the government's not going to loudly promote this because they think that it clashes with their social values. It's so different from you know if you're born in a European hospital or an American hospital, you know the birth certificate comes from the hospital. It's just a piece of paper, and if you're a mother on your own, no one's going to ask you, demand to know who the the father is. Of course, it must make a difference, Alice, that in China, registering your identity and your household registration, it's all basically under the police. So that must make a quite a difference to the whole atmosphere when you're making a claim to be a legal person to exist. Yeah, that's true. But at least in Jing's experience, she said when she was doing her registrations, she was told by the hospital and by the jiedao, like the street level officials, there's a part for the father, like just leave it blank and it's fine. Is there a class element to this? You said that she's in Shanghai, which is an open-minded city, but you also mentioned, I think, that she's a counselor at an international school catering to expat kids and rich Chinese families. Yeah, I think there's definitely a class element to this. Even if you're not taking the path that Jing took, if you want to go and do IVF, like Ye Haiyang, you need to have Enough money to go abroad and then to do the process. All of that really costs quite a lot. And actually, those influencers we were talking about earlier, they were quite upfront about this as well. Li Shiraka, the girl boss model with the triplets, there's an interview she gave to state media where she talks about how money is key to her freedom, and she says money is the one thing that gives me real security. And it's only once she had financial independence that she felt like she could control her life and make decisions like these. And when you hear anyone saying that in any country, you realize that this may be framed by authorities and officials and commentators as a question of morality and principle and tradition. But if someone says you can get around that with money, then this is also a discussion about power. Yeah, that's right. And actually, I told you earlier that it was a working class migrant worker, single mom, who first pointed me to Ye Haiyang. And actually, I was talking to her about her experience as a mom, and she said. We can't all be super women like Ye Haiyang. Basically, it's not an option for her to go abroad, raise kids, make videos about their travels around the world. But she still admires Ye Haiyang, and what she admires is is this idea of independence and making your own decisions. And she said that she and all the women around her were working very hard to have that kind of independence in their own contexts. That's one of the really moving things about so many of these debates in China, right? That. Even as the space for civil society and kind of NGOs with an office and a nameplate is getting smaller and smaller, the certainty that so many ordinary Chinese have that they have rights that they deserve to have those rights respected is just incredibly hard to crush. It's so resilient, and I saw that with the thing we're going to talk about next week. I went to rural Fujian to talk to some women who had been launching lawsuits and arguing with their neighbors with the local. Officials challenging that old convention that if you marry a man from outside your home village, you're a waijianu or a married-out woman, and that you lose all of your rights in your home village. So, Alice, you can see why this is a really hard problem for the Communist Party, and why they're not going to give up on tradition 
too easily because they're worried about running out of babies in the future. But right here and now, they are paranoid about social stability. And in so many places, particularly in villages in poorer bits of China, there are already a huge number of spare men wondering if they're ever going to get married. 30 million unmarried men of marriageable age. That's the statistic we see a lot. And a lot of them have not that much education, not that much money. And you go back to Communist Party history, they know that that's an absolutely unstable situation. They recruited rural farmers by promising them a wife if they would join the Red Army in the first days of the revolution. So, I mean, you can see that the party is thinking now, why don't we just have women marry all of these extra men and make babies with them and create stable families. In 2021, there were these county-level officials in Hunan province who published a document saying the issue of aging unmarried rural men is ceasing to be an individual problem and becoming a societal problem. So there's, again, that concern with social stability. And then local media published a commentary saying Bringing warmth to the beds of aging rural men is a necessary undertaking. They're urging local women to stay in their hometowns, in the villages, and marry these men. But that is not what the young women of China today are interested in. It'd be interesting to know whether the educated daughters of those Chinese officials, whether they'd be happy to see them go off and warm the bed of some aging village man. Yeah. Alice, should we be Ending this on an optimistic note or not? I mean, you've been talking to these brave women who are currently in the law courts. They're on the internet. They're making their case. And they say that there has to be a moment to change. Do you think they're right? Do you think that China is going to start making it easier to be a solo mom? Most of them were optimistic that things are going to have to change. That's something I talked about with Jing, the solo mom in Shanghai. So basically, Jing has been watching this closely, and she has her own prediction, right? She said she thinks that within the next five years, or at the most 10 years, China is going to make the sperm banks accessible to single women. And she says this is the trend because the state needs people. And it's it's not necessarily because their values have changed. They clearly haven't. But it's because of the economy, right? They need the population to grow. And so she says, it's kind of like we have different goals, but we need the same thing. And Alice, we are seeing the very first steps of the boundaries of respectable debate being enlarged. I guess that's one way to phrase it. So things like the prestigious but ultimately powerless advisory body, the CPPCC, we've seen members of that in the most recent parliamentary session starting to talk about maybe considering medical special cases. So here's a video, if you'll forgive the surprisingly cheesy music for a piece of legislative discussion. This is from this year's Legislative two sessions. This is Su Songjian. You have Xu saying that you could consider under certain conditions, for example, medical reasons to allow a single woman to freeze her eggs if she hasn't had children by a certain age but has a desire to preserve it maybe that could be considered. And if you're a pessimist, then there is a danger in a system like China's to appealing to the collective interest, like Jing, your school counsellor in Shanghai, talking about maybe their economic incentives will lead them to open up the sperm banks. I think that we're allowed to be optimistic. What Xu Tongjian was just saying there was very cautious, but that is how change starts. 
in a place like China, very, very cautiously talking about the most respectable, conservative vision of how change might be allowed. And the Chinese Communist Party does have a weirdly pragmatic streak, no? that if they sense they're losing their ultimate authority and their strength, then it's remarkable how they will change. And so maybe if you're a half optimist, there are reasons to think they'll realize that they have no choice but to give individual women more rights if they want to stay a strong, growing power. Yeah, I think for me, I'm kind of in between. I don't know if I'm optimist or pessimist on this. I think I, I agree that some things, they're just a no-brainer, like allow women to freeze their eggs. They want to have kids, but just a little bit later. I think that is probably going to happen. At the same time, there are ways to pursue the state's goals of having more babies that aren't empowering of the individual, right? You could restrict access to abortion. We've already seen restricting access to divorce, right? So, you know, why not go that way? But what's encouraging to me is that I see that Chinese women are watching this very closely. They definitely have their own thoughts on it, and they're definitely pushing very hard to make sure that they can have a say in whichever direction that this goes. And the fact they keep fighting is the biggest vote for optimism of all, because a lot of us would have given up a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. And it takes an incredible amount of courage to do that. Thanks to everyone for listening to Drum Tower. And we'll be back next week to meet some women in rural Fujian who are also pushing back against the patriarchy. And to our listeners, we have really been enjoying all your emails telling us where you are and what you do when you listen to Drum Tower. Claude in Brittany listens early in the morning while milking goats. And Laurence in Montreal listens while running past the roaring waters of Lachine Rapids. And Fiona emailed to say that she listens from her post in Ulaanbaatar. And I think that is because she's in fact the British ambassador to Mongolia. Hmm. I particularly liked an email from Martin in Bratislava, who inspired by our conversation about Sichuan peppercorns last week, told us about the time that he was given fried tips of the branches of the Sichuan pepper shrub. Mm. I've not tried that myself, but I do like a yadzai when I'm out on the road, so uh, I will be on the hunt for that after Martin's endorsement. And if you want to write to us, tell us where you listen or any ideas you have for the podcast. We love your emails. Write to us at drum at economist.com. Our editor is Poppy Seabag Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barkley Bram produced this episode. Sound design is by Ting Lee Lim, and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell. Let's shape the future of globalization. Join Economist Impact Conference Navigating New Globalization Innovation for Progress on August 24th in New Delhi. To explore the new dynamics of trade and international relations to create a more cohesive and sustainable world, register at indiaforum.economist.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.